Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm Andrea Butcher, and I'm so grateful for this platform to share stories like this. Today's guest says that all of her experiences have led her to this moment. Pamela Morris Thornton, or PMT, as many call her, and I will refer to her today, has been charged with reimagining the work environment as the Vice President, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Panera. What you most need to know about PMT is how personal this work is for her and how daunting it feels. Listen in as she tells her story that's fueled by a personal strength, her faith, a strong support system, and a knowing that young women will see her and recognize new possibilities. My biggest takeaway, as a leader, continually asking myself, am I doing the work? I'm really excited to be here to also share my story and my journey with your listeners because this is a pivotal time in our nation's history and the work that we do as HR leaders and in particular diversity, equity, inclusion leaders could not be any more timely or important. Oh, gosh, so true. All of that. And I know you are doing it. The work is so meaningful and personal to you. So, So tell us about the journey that got you to where you are today. I would start by saying my mom, you know, she was a, she is a retired special educator who you know, taught in the inner cities, uh, underserved communities for 30 plus years. And my dad, he worked most of his life in blue collar, made it finally to management before he retired. All the while, he actually opened his own business. So there's a lot of, I would say, a a blend or a compliment of my mother and my father that's instilled in me, this compassion and perseverance. And I am the um, youngest of five siblings. So I think having older brothers and sisters, seen them grow up before me. So what mistakes not to make, so to speak. So learning through them. And so I think that, again, just having this compassion and perseverance were instilled in me earlier on in my life. And so it led me to a career in HR. I shouldn't skip over the fact that I'm hugely aligned to my faith, which has been a huge part of my upbringing as well. And it's taught me a lot about just having reverence for a higher power and, and understanding that everything works together for the good and it'll all work itself out. So those are the things that have really influenced my life. And again, it led me to this space and in, in really helping people. I love HR and I get energized just thinking about connecting with others, helping our leaders map their people strategy to their business strategy. So it's been really based on, again, the experiences that I've had you know, at an early age with my mom and her profession and my father with working through so many obstacles just as an African-American man without a formal college education and just having that drive and perseverance to still want to do more and do more for others. They modeled that combination of compassion and perseverance for you. They did. 
So now I have sitting in a place where I look back on my my career and I've had more than now 25 years of progressive HR experience and my most recent role, which I'll get to here in a second, but just the, the one prior to it, I was leading our HR business partner practice and our talent acquisition, executive recruiting, and I started to lead our diversity, equity, inclusion uh, work. And obviously we had some changes changes within our organization. And it was actually that part of my role was paused for a while. The question about what brings me to where I am today and the pivotal moment that set me on this course that I'm sitting in right now. And I would say that it was after the death of George Floyd, right? So, so many other companies, we made several commitments to our associates in an effort to say we are going to do better and we are going to make progress. And in particular with our DEI efforts. And I recently read an article from BCG and it talked about now is this time where DEI, again, has not been any more important than it is today. And that it is part of a CEO's top five agenda items. So needless to say, it's high profile work. It's highly visible work. And we, too, made the commitment that we would have a dedicated leader in this space driving our DEI agenda for the enterprise. Because the enterprise had not had that prior? No. We were just starting that work, and it was really more of a let's focus on our corporate entity first. We went more broad and enterprise-wide. So, yeah, we didn't have that sort of total view quite yet. So now that we've committed to having a person dedicated and driving the DEI agenda for the entire enterprise, that became a focus. And I was asked to take on the role. And to be completely candid, I was not too keen on doing that, in part because, again, it was right after the death of George Floyd. There was a lot of raw emotion and just people trying to reconcile with their own emotion and how that how it was showing up for them. And I know organizations were trying to do the same thing. And I wasn't sure that's where I wanted to be in that moment. How were you feeling in that moment? No doubt, personally, you were processing all of that. But what was it in being asked to take on the role? What was the hesitancy? I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I just felt the weight of this work at that moment was too much for me to wrap my head around. I was really sorting through my own emotions. And I would be completely candid and say, there's been so many others prior to George Floyd that it was this moment of, is this really the catalyst that it needed to be? And or would this be just another unfortunate, untimely death? And so it just felt like it was too much. I didn't want it to be all for nothing. I didn't want to do this work unless it really was at the it really was the moment that people started listening, organizations started taking the right kinds of actions, but I wasn't sure. And so I just didn't want to be put in a role to check a box. And I wasn't sure that this was the work that was really energizing me. There was a lot that was going on in my head. Sounds overwhelming. It is. And as a woman of color, it was hard. It was hard to be the HR leader to help navigate the organization through it while still emotionally reconciling my own feelings. So it's a little bit of a a balance that you're trying to strike 
but you give in to your your emotions. Sounds like a call for compassion and perseverance. Yeah. And I continued to not answer my internal call. And I did that for a while and I was fighting it until one day. And so I shared the story with others also. And it was sort of this reckoning that I was having with myself. Like many other organizations, I attended and participated in listening sessions. And we had five of them. And it was right after the death of George Floyd. We opened the lines across the U.S. and allowed our associates to call in. Some were on phone, on the phone, on audio, and others were dialed in on Zoom. And this was, again, the maybe the very first one with over, I don't know, 500 plus people on the call. I think people just wanted to talk. They wanted to share how they were feeling, and they wanted the leaders to, and it was a small group of us. So it was our CEO, our chief people officer, a couple of the HR leaders we were on the call. And our goal was to just set the call up and listen. And it was so telling. I could feel the pain. I could feel the hurt. I could feel the emotion that people had in that moment. And all we were doing were taking notes. What are the key themes? What are people saying? We want to listen. We want to understand. And it was a woman, I heard this woman's voice and she talked about her experience, which was not as positive, unfortunately. It was a surprise because we certainly did not ever think that what she was describing is our culture. In fact, it was very counter to our culture. We're very open, inviting, warm, friendly. And she described being outside the circle and not feeling the love, not feeling a part of the quote unquote family. And as she talked about that in parallel to George Floyd and how no one has asked her how she was feeling. But even before the George Floyd, what she talked about is not feeling like she belonged. And when she came to St. Louis for her orientation and onboarding, she never knew that she could ever really fit in or belong until she saw me and didn't think that it would be possible for her to ever aspire to a management level role until she saw me. And I had never met this person. I didn't know at the time who she was. And so that really weighed heavily on me in that moment. And not even minutes later, another woman who also from a different part of the country said the same exact thing. And so what they both said was they didn't realize or didn't see a possibility of ever even being considered for where wherever they were in, in the organization, a higher level position until they saw me. And I felt an incredible sense of duty, responsibility, that this is a moment that has forever changed the way I think about this work, because it's those voices that we don't hear. They were just brave enough to speak up, but they represented the voiceless. I found myself in that moment being sort of emotionally convicted that this work is important. This work is meaningful. This work will help those who are voiceless. And that was a moment for me that changed the course of why I chose to dive into this work 
to be the diversity, equity, inclusion leader for Panera for the entire enterprise so that those voices that I heard on that call on that day will have a place and a voice in this space. Yeah. And just the uh, how empowering that must have felt to know that young women are now seeing you in this role and recognizing new possibilities that didn't exist before. I would tell you in full candor, <laughs> I cried. I cried because I did not know and I didn't recognize that by holding a role in a position in an organization as large as we are has a great deal of responsibility and power. We go through life kind of day to day, but the responsibility that has now been put on my shoulders, I took for granted. And this was my way of dealing with myself. And I cried. I couldn't look up because I was on Zoom. It's like, oh my God, I was like crying tears. And I can remember my boss who she had just recently joined the organization and she texted me and she was like, oh my God, are you okay? It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I was like, absolutely it is. And so anyway, I shared that very vulnerable story because it taught me something. You never know whose life you've touched, number one. Number two, when you have the platform, the opportunity to share your voice in such a space as this, use it and do not take it for granted. It's so real. I could feel that. I got teary-eyed listening to the story. But isn't that the power of vulnerability is the connection that that then comes from that? I mean, I feel like I know you and your why so much clearer now having heard the story. I mean, there's a credibility in that. Oh, absolutely. I use this sort of my personal philosophy, and I think it sums it up in terms of how I live my life, how I show up, the choices that I make. And it says, don't cheat the world by keeping your gifts and talents to yourself. And to me, that's what this is. Like I could have chosen to stay where I was, in a role where I would have been perfectly happy. It's a sweet spot for me. I could do that work with my eyes closed, but this is hard. This work is hard, but it's deeply meaningful. And if I have the opportunity to share my gifts and talents, then I should always do that. Yes, that is influence. And I'm just so grateful that large enterprise organizations like Panera have a leader like you that is is so personally driven towards these efforts and these goals because it is hard and we've only just begun the conversation. And I think about your associate base all over the country in different geos and the diversity that exists. And it's interesting how, I mean, diversity and equity inclusion is just baked into your business because of your associate base. And now you're giving that diversity a voice. That's exciting. And I think it becomes a critical thread to our organization's fabric. And I I hate to, to sound cliche, but we do have an employee value proposition overarching that we want to create a culture where I belong. And we really do mean that. And it's rooted in warmth. It's rooted in growth, trust, and belonging. And we want to make sure that it actually 
translate to our associates in a way that they feel accepted, that they feel that not only do they belong, that they are embraced for who they are. And that's important, especially now. So what are the things that you're doing? What have you put in place to help ensure that those feelings come to be? Part of it is, again, the really big rocks certainly are around our culture transformation. I think that's broader than anything. Like we are at this pivotal place in our organization's history where we've evolved as a brand. And now our culture has to match that. And we've done a ton of work around culture shaping and honoring our past, but also looking forward to our future. And rooted in all of those things is how do we build a culture that is rooted in respect and honors people for who they are and their authentic selves. So more specifically with this culture shaping work and being able to introduce our guiding values and behaviors, we've done um, a lot of heavy lifting and support and in service to how we want our associates to feel about the organization. And then more tactically, we are focused on increasing our diversity leaders. We are focused on women and BIPOC leaders and how we actually are able to recruit and retain them. And we've already started making progress on this. Bringing in new leaders, certainly at the executive level, if you can start to see some of the changing demographics at the very highest levels of our organization. And being able to, again, use the lens of DEI as part of our recruiting strategy and bringing in more diversity within the candidate slate. So those are things that we're working on now. I think the other part that is hugely and equally as important is the training and education. So we have launched a series of trainings for all of our associates as part of a baseline curriculum. So how do we continue the knowledge, skills, and giving them the tools to be able to understand what does it mean to have bias and how does this show up in my everyday life? And how do I, if I have a situation with a customer, how do I actually now apply these learnings to understand someone's experience from their point of view? And I think those are real tactical items that we are tackling right now. Well, and what I so appreciate about that is it's not one thing. It's got to be a culture transformation. What we value and how those values are expressed has to change as the organization evolves. That's the big transformation. That's a huge rock. And just to, to follow up on another area that we are focused on is our community engagement. And so part of it is, you know, how do we show up in our communities of color? And how is it that we can become more certainly aligned in support and a partner to our nonprofit organizations in our communities? And we are expanding our footprint in the space and being acutely focused on certain areas, for instance, in St. Louis and in Boston, where we're headquartered, but in other cities as well, where we have relationships already, how do we continue to strengthen them and expand those relationships? So I think that's another really powerful point. Yeah, that it can almost be like a microcosm in the community representing the values that the organization espouses. I want to dig in a little bit. You talked earlier about your faith being so important, and we share that, and you and I have talked about that. And how does your faith drive the work that you do, particularly around DE&I? 
I fundamentally believe that my spirit life and my faith walk, it's all the same. It's really going back to a place where there are things in life that are right and there are things that are wrong and having the courage and the knowing that I have a strong support and background in my faith allows me to tackle some of the the harder, more challenging issues and characters. My faith has taught me a lot about myself and my ability to be tenacious because I know what I'm doing is really about serving others. It's about taking sort of a, I almost call it a servant leadership approach. And it's really the work that we're doing. It's in service to others. You were talking earlier about like expanding the knowledge and skills of leaders and associates. And you mentioned like really analyzing the biases that we all hold. Those are the kinds of things that keep you from serving. The reality is there's not a single sort of training or Zoom call you can sit through that will instantly make you more inclusive in your thinking. It takes practice. It takes understanding. It takes dialogue. It takes learning. It takes, let me see it from your side. Let me understand it from your point of view. Let me understand your life experiences. Let me understand how you grew up, where you grew up. All of those things work together. And again, is in service to how we help others understand and get a broader view. It is such a personal journey. It's interesting because certainly we are all in this together because we're in relationship with each other and life and co-workers in the same organization. But I think it is part of my growth through this is addressing things within myself I never have because of my background and experiences. It feels like it's just the right time. There's just such a call for self-awareness right now. And then the impact of those experiences on how I treat others and look at others and situations and having the courage to respond rather than react. And again, it's been a, a year of reflection. And George Floyd happens to be the catalyst for that sort of awakening that's happening. And you're right. I think people are re-examining their own biases and their own issues or things that they've had to deal with in their past and how it's shaped the way that they think. And it's a challenge because you now have looked in the mirror and you have a choice because you now have acknowledged it to walk around daily without having that acknowledgement, you continue to do the same things that you've always done. But when you've acknowledged it and stopped and really said, hey, maybe I shouldn't say these things, or maybe I shouldn't have these sort of biases. I now have more recognition around that I've done that. It now becomes your choice in this moment. I did a podcast recording with a a friend, Val Tate, right after George Floyd. And one of the things that she was talking a lot about is just with a lot of vulnerability, she was talking about how she's just tired of teaching white people how to treat her. When she said that, I laughed, like thinking she was joking. And she's like, no, Andrea, she was like, seriously, I'm like really tired of that. And so I really had to listen to that. You know, here's what I would say to that. And I know that that's probably real for many of us, but it's really about doing the work and not 
leaning on one person to help you educate yourself. It really, there's so many resources out there. There's lots of different books and movies and different really great documentaries for people to really learn. And I do think that that's a great sort of starting point. Just get really entrenched in and understanding and doing that on your own. And then I believe if you had questions and you wanted to discuss it, I think it would be appropriate to do that so that it's not the burden of my one Black friend because there's so much. As someone who has facilitated, I've you know facilitated leadership development my entire career. And so really steeped in the models like leadership challenge and radical candor and situational leadership. And if you look at the literature and the research around when leaders are at their best, if you look at those behaviors, they're the kinds of behaviors that naturally create an inclusive environment that encourages diversity. It's almost like I don't necessarily separate out good leadership from creating an inclusive environment. It's also a sign of a strong leader is someone who chooses others who aren't from the same background as them or have different experiences. So you really are creating diversity of thought. That's how you get to the best answer. Because if everyone came from the same town and the same city or the same state, the same similar backgrounds, you're going to have a lot of groupthink. And if you introduce diversity of thinking, you, you for sure will always get to a better answer. Absolutely. Because you're bringing together all of that. So it's a fuller solution. Absolutely. And companies who do that are often more profitable. And there's many case studies that have proven that. PMT, thank you so much for this. Not only have you shared really personally your why behind these efforts, you are reimagining the work environment at Panera. What an exciting time for you and all of the associates within that organization. Yeah, we are really blessed to have great leadership, passionate CEO that is supporting creating a place where all are welcome and all belong. And to me, if you don't have that, then I don't think your organization can actually move the needle. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I so appreciate your heart. Thank you. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk with you. So if our listeners want to connect with you, PMT, what's the best way to do that? Sure. I would say LinkedIn is probably the the best way. I'm on LinkedIn as Pam Morris hyphen Thornton and or Pam.Morris hyphen Thornton at PaneraBread.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.